Oh, doctor, kick those tires and start that virtual fake fire because, as always, rising gas prices and the threat of looming inflation have conspired to keep our beautiful bus relegated to a storage facility in Seal Beach. But just for the time being, but don't worry, campers, there is good news on the horizon because I bring you a very special guest today. Now, I know I always say that every guest is special, and it is true. Everyone is special. But this man is particularly special for several reasons. One, I had the privilege of officiating his wedding. I used to say that I married Matt Clifford and his wife, but then in light of recent times, that drew some confusion. And so now I specify that I officiated his wedding in beautiful Cancun, Mexico, which has stories that can't be aired here for fear of statute of limitations. Matt is a very successful entrepreneur and actually a little bit of a local legend in San Diego consumer packaged goods. We're going to get into all that and more. Please welcome a serial entrepreneur, a man who I once referred to as the purveyor of potassium, the pontificator of Platanos, who has since moved on now and now is the king of keto. We're going to welcome Matt Clifford to the program. Matt, thanks for joining us on really short notice. (laughs) Well, good to be here, Ryan, as always. Uh, I've been tracking what you've been doing and always impressed and inspired. And any opportunity to sit down with you is a good one. Well, I do appreciate that the pandemic really has recalibrated everything. You know, there was a time when we would have really cool sets and backgrounds and I'm coming to you live from what appears to be a rather intimate setting in my uh, temporary bedroom slash studio, and you have a laundry machine, motorcycle, golf clubs, and appear to be in some sort of really cool bunker or garage. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that the bunker is the right description. It's <laughs> alternate utility room. Uh, I'm holding strong on this, though. This is definitely a COVID response, and I'm, I'm clinging to it. I think it's a great fit. You know, I get a lot of heat for the washing machine, but it is the topic of conversation for many of such zooms. Well, if you need to get up, you know, now I did tell you the spin stops here, right? So just making sure you know that. Uh, we are going to just jump into it. We have so much to talk about. Um, I actually, because you actually, you're following in the footsteps of some other great entrepreneurs. We just had the Travis Matthews CEO, and I know that you would potentially put yourself in the exact same camp uh, exactly. as that. That's right. So. Yeah. Now, now I want to go back into because we actually interviewed you eight years ago on another podcast. And I want to see if you remember the advice you gave to everyone thinking about starting a protein bar, consumer packaged good, any sort of culinary uh, item. Do you remember what your advice was to them? Oh, man. Goodness, Ryan. I'll tell I you because like, I have it written down. If I, you mean, I feel like there's it. more chances of getting this wrong than getting it right. Um yeah, in eight years is an eternity. I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge that. Um, probably ask a lot of questions, be naive, and maybe don't do it. Maybe I might have said don't. You said don't do it. That was your number one <laughs> advice. So a man who has found is a co-founded and inc- uh, actually now he's on two food companies here. And actually, I'm interested. Do you call Barnana, and would you lump Barnana and? Uh, can do aka keto crisp into food companies or what is the technical term for us not in the industry what would we call these yeah i think broadly i i mean i think it's preference but i like to say consumer packaged goods okay um you know but cpg could consumer packaged goods could encapsulate like stuff you buy at target like a general merchandise like a toy right it's a consumer right. Good, right so food i i say food colloquially and i think that works now, we joke about don't do it. And you said because we were talking about thin margins 
yeah. an insatiable need for capital, constantly supply chains, basically all the most unattractive features of a business that you could ask for. And yet you've had tremendous success. You're in it again. So I'm curious, what keeps you coming back? And why are you putting yourself through this? As much as we joke about it, why do why do consumer packaged goods? Well, I mean, I think there's an answer that sounds good, and there's the real answer. Um, okay, let's go, let's go with the one that's the real answer yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, is I mean, look, this is what I know now. I mean, this is the industry that I was, you know, dumb luck to find myself in, and uh, after 12 years, I, I would say somewhat it can be dangerous, and no, no, I'm a mile deep for sure in the industry. And so I think it makes starting things a bit easier. Uh, go to markets a bit faster. Um, yeah, look at I think that the food industry is 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 a challenge because it's a physical good, right? And uh, as we as we've talked before, it's super low margin, it's high volume. There's entrenched competitors like Mondelez and Danone and Pepsi and Kraft and big big players, um, which means margins are small. However, I feel like the the counter argument to that is everybody eats food and it's a multi-trillion dollar industry annually of just food consumption. So you That's take right. a small pie, a very big market, it's still a great business. Everyone's a customer. That's right. Everyone's a customer. Now, I want to go back before because now I'm biased here because uh, as a to make sure I don't violate uh, FTC uh, protocol here. I have been supplied with keto crisp bars in the past, and they are absolutely fantastic. Dangerously so. Um, in fact, um, I have to remember with keto that I'm trying to apply a specific protocol, and I could eat those like candy. Uh, they taste amazing. I was going to say, you do look great, Ryan, so you must be eating a lot of our product lately. Thank you. Well, that's a paid sponsorship placement there from candy. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to go back just because we met when you even before the Barnana times because you actually your first venture is you co-founded uh, a wonderful company called Barnana, which makes these fantastic dehydrated uh, banana snacks that I absolutely love and still love. Uh, what went into that? You founded that company. What what actually got you started with that? Yeah, so I have two partners in that business. Uh, I was a, a co-founder. I'm a co-founder in that brand. It's called Barnana. That started in 2011. Um, so yeah, now we're uh, 11 years into that to that journey. Um, and the, the impetus for that, and I would say, you know, a bit more lucky than smart here, is um, our, my partner and the third partner at Coway. He uh, grew up in Brazil, and he would bring these snacks back from Brazil, which were called banana mia, and they're just this really popular dehydrated banana snack, and this was the kind of first entry into something so simple, but you know, naive enough to say, do they assume they sell it at Whole Foods and it's not sold at Whole Foods and that just gets the gears turning of why and research and going down the, the rabbit hole and asking good questions. Um, and that probably took six months. I would say the discovery phase, Cowie very much led that in the early stages. It was his, I would say, brainchild. Um, and the big aha for us was we'll get it's it's novel and I, it's it's interesting to import a popular product from Brazil and we had a good history lesson there because there were brands like uh, Samazon that were importing acai uh, and, and coconut water was just happening and there was Marco Polo with Zico and I think we were inspired by other brands before us you know kind of bringing emerging market products to the U.S. and and commercializing them mainstream. So I think we had really good mentors in there and really good peers. 
And we said, hey, can we do what they're doing for acai and, and for coconut for bananas? Um, not the fruit, because that was already a thing in a big way in the US and for anything around that. And that was the thesis. We got really lucky. We, we, we started the, that we coined the term upcycling. Um, you know, I think it's still nascent, but a lot more consumer awareness around that. And, and what does upcycling mean? It's, it sounds sort of like a, uh, an insult or retaliatory measure that I would throw against someone. Uh, what is upcycling, Matt? So we actually, it's it actually just got defined by, believe it or not, the Upcycle Food Association. Um, Congratulations. And yeah. Yeah. And that, that organization started two and a half years ago by an amazing, an amazing individual called Turner Wyatt. A call out to him for pioneering that. We help contribute to what upcycling is as a definition and a standard. Um, but it's diverting something that would otherwise end up as waste and bringing it to its highest and best use, right? So where recycling is already had its end of life, like a plastic bottle um, or you know something has already reached its useful life and then you bring it back into the supply chain, that is recycling. Upcycling is when it's going through the supply chain and it hasn't reached its end of life. It's There's loss and waste through these stages of the supply chain. And if you can capture that lost in waste before the item reaches its useful life, you can upcycle it back to another product. That's, That's right. So lots of bananas. So I'm going to assume then there were lots of bananas that were totally fine, but might not meet consumers' aesthetic preferences or whatever. And they would otherwise be, you know, garbage. And you were able to harvest perfectly great bananas that may not have otherwise met consumer requirements. Is that the accurate summation? Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. I, I, I don't remember the stats today. Uh, it's it's some shocking number around half of all bananas um, that are produced are wasted. And of that half, it's probably about 40% of that waste happens at the farm level, at the production level, the harvesting level. And then the other balance happens at your, your home. So do they just throw, wait, so literally you're telling me, all right, let's, let's talk about bananas here for yeah. a minute because this is bananas. Yeah. Uh, you're telling me that potentially slightly less than half of bananas that are harvested at farms end up not being usable or thrown in. They yeah. were at least thrown in garbage or disposed of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, a, it's a, it's a, it's the largest number amongst almost all produce. I know of all produce items, uh, it might be the number one amongst food. Uh, there's other other foods that have pretty pretty intense that seems i mean with with hunger on the level it's at this yeah. seems like this seems an atrocity like i mean literally so it would just be and would these bananas then be taken because they had like big brown spots on them because I, as a kid i remember the brown spot kind of freaked me out but yeah. then you get old enough to afford these smoothies and to put products in that you make that cost about 30 percent of my income and uh and then you realize that actually a slightly bruised uh, ripened banana that's frozen is perhaps the ultimate smoothie enhancement ingredient. Yeah, it's more sweet. It's yeah. fantastic. And as a kid, I would throw. And I was like, now that I've matured and I see that it's the imperfections that really make the banana special. There's something profound about that, I'm sure. But uh, were these bananas being thrown away just because they don't look right, or is that what's happening? Yeah, I think it's just so we can talk consistent on uh, on numbers. If you think about half of all bananas being wasted, right? Yeah. Um, so if you look at it instead of a half of a half, so you could say a quarter of all bananas um, are never, they never even make it to the retailer. Wow. If you follow me, then 
once the ones that make it to the retailer, it's about an other quarter that is, you know, uh, on your, in your house or in the, you know, from going from a distribution center to target or to whole foods or to Costco, and then Costco has shrink and loss. And then the home has shrink and loss. So if you total all those up from the harvesting to the consumption, it's about half, which is a shockingly large number when we have, you know, it's something like a billion people that are food insecure in the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that there's a beauty to industrial supply chains that we've built, but there's also externalities to them. Um, and bananas, bananas, you know, for, for, for reasons, consumers, and this stat also is a bit more nuanced because it's different in the U S like U S food uh, loss is higher than developing countries, right? Like Guatemala, or Ecuador, they don't really care as much how their banana looks, right? So it's a nuanced conversation. It's not just one broad broad stat, but the big number is just still galling and it's it's really pathetic. Wow. Well, Matt, I hope you care how your banana looks because that's what I'm hearing. This is uh, this is a big deal. This is this is a healthy food. This is like also a delicious food. I am just so I'm like processing this. Also, I do remember from this interview years ago, uh, though one or two species, I'm assuming, accounts for, uh, or varieties, I should say, accounts for the vast majority of banana consumption. You astounded me with the fact that there are actually many types yeah. of bananas. How many are there? Just how really, many bananas really, are there? We're really digging deep into the historical conversation we had. I'm surprised how... Well, uh, I want to talk about bananas because I love bananas. Yeah. And before we... Because the banana will set you up for yeah. what you can yes. do right now. But there I'm just curious because people want to know, you win yeah, the trivia night know, with this. How many species uh, of bananas are there? There's over 100, for sure. Wow. Over 100. Um, and the con- U.S. consumer is probably getting exposed to or eating three, maybe. Maybe, wow. maybe. if you include a plantain in there, four, right? Um, but the, the volume, I think it's 90s, in the 90s of one banana, which is called the Cavendish banana. That's the banana we all eat today. Wow. Does someone own, is there a pro, uh, trademark on that or does someone own that? Like, have they been able to like, you know. It's, it's, actually, it? it's actually a super interesting story um, um, around, you know, there's this intersection of non-GMO and, and I would say like non-lab but you know cultivated modified crops right i mean mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole great Cur- curated bananas right there's a whole conversation around like where do we draw a line on gmo non-gmo but the cavendish banana was definitely a science experiment from dole to make a more hardy resilient longer lasting more transportable transferable banana that was not done in the lab it was done you know in a, in a green room but you know this is what humans do they they optimize so they actually made this. This actually make a great clip. They made so Monsanto or is it, or Dole? Is it, well, Monsanto, was it? I don't think Monsanto was around yet at this time. Okay, it was Dole. Like, so. Eighteen hundred, probably late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Oh, all right. This is a long time ago. So basically, they just were trying to breed a special banana that was, as you said, robust and like you know, look good. Yeah, look good. I, mean, I, a good I, I do banana. Think, <laughs> I do. I, I do hope that this gets posted somewhere and 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 we get corrected for all the mistakes I'm making now, but. There's somebody smarter than me that had researched this, and the, the Cavendish I, I, came into vogue, I think, in the 40s-ish. Wow. There's a great story around this. There's a whole book on it. We should really, it. yeah. What's it? What's it called? Is it peeling back the ears, or? Uh... Well, I think it, 
I think you and I, I think I shared this book with you, The Fish That Ate the Whale. Did I did I share that with you? No, is that, all right, we'll put that in the show notes here. So for those, for, the, for our listeners who are particularly passionate about uh, banana history, um, this is a must read. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal book. I mean, I love, I mean, anything that seems normal in your day-to-day life, but actually has an amazing story behind it, those are always the best reads. Mm. There's so much more interesting complexity behind the stuff that we think just shows up every day. Oh man. All right. Well, take home notes is I'm already seeing myself do the show notes here, like hundred varieties of banana. There's this type, there's a, the drama. I can also see an audible, like an, like a series, like bad blood, you know, bad banana, uh, yeah, bad, banana. <laughs> bad banana. Now things would not always relegate you to banana. Actually, you're right. I don't want to be looped up into the bad blood situation. That's true. You're not. That would we have to come. With <laughs> Elizabeth Theranos and I, there's no relation there. Um, all right. So you did Barnana for, gosh, like almost uh, almost a decade, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you put 10 years into that, and that company's doing great, and you guys created a lot of amazing snacks. And then you actually transitioned, and you moved into a wonderful new company called Can Do Foods. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, pro- okay. And you guys make this incredible not clinically addictive, but just personally, I've experienced it to be addictive because it's so good. Uh, these keto-friendly bars, and they are amazing. But tell us about your journey to this company and you know, kind of what you guys are all about. I know you guys have actually a really cool story behind it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know, this is kind of part two in the journey, and Can Do was started by a larger-than-life uh, amazing individual, and the founder, his name's Adam Bremen. Um, I get the pleasure to work with Adam every day and Adam has cerebral palsy. Um, and he, so he's been in a chair his entire life and he started eating a, a keto ish diet in 2017, 2018. And he lost 90 pounds in a wheelchair. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, challenged by just the amount of mobility he can do, but just cleaning up his diet eating a low carb, low sugar, uh, higher in fat, healthy fat diet, and then started getting working out. And when I love, and we'll get Adam, you know, to, to meet some people someday, but like, you know, he, he just, is just the, the most positive exuberant person. And, you know, I think he, he just radiates this, this amount of energy and, and goodwill. And it's just, it's addicting. And so I, I got a chance to meet Adam and bump into him and his weight loss transformation journey. And they were early on, on, you know, this idea of keto crisp. Um, and he really, he really talked about this idea of can do, which is his mantra, which is life's more about what you can do and not what you can't do. Right. And that started gravitating towards me a lot. Um, I've always been a big outdoor enthusiast and endurance athlete. And I think that resonates really with a lot of people. And so the bar very much is a platform for us to um, share that messaging to as many people as possible. And, and, you know, this is so back to the Barnana vein is deliver, deliver better foods for, to a lot of people, right? If we can deliver, this is, I guess that's another great thing about being in the CPG industry is like at the end of the day, we sleep at night, you know, we do, we do feel like we're making a net positive impact in people's diets to the extent they're consuming our products. I'm very proud of the products. Oh yeah, you know, that we've put in the marketplace. We've come a long way since uh, Tiger's Milk and the Power Bar. I mean, the, Tiger's the, Milk is still around, Ryan. I, I know. It's I amazing. Know. 
Dude, it's an it's funny. I used to think of that as like a health food, but you look at it and it's like it's basically a lot of sugar. Granted, if yeah. you're a growing athlete and you just eat calories, it tastes amazing and it's great, but uh, man, it is amazing the amount of healthy options we have. Like and actually I want to get into the keto crisp bar uh, yeah. a little bit here because uh, one, it's criminal. It shouldn't taste this good. So I'm actually filed several injunctions against you to find out what's your what you're putting in here because uh, as far as I can divine, you actually only have a few ingredients in there and all of them are fantastic. And so um, you have, you know, whey protein. So you got a complete protein in there as well. And then you've got these MCTs and these medium chain triglycerides and healthy fats. And my only complaint is that the bar is about, you know, uh, this small. And for someone of my enormous size, I, you know, want to eat four of them, but I can't. Uh, but actually what- really good, interesting feedback because the bar, I don't think consumers think about this, but the bar from a weight perspective is larger on a weight than a lot of other bars that you buy at Whole Foods. Like when I look at it, I look at price per ounce and we offer more ounces in our product than a lot of other, you know, peers. We get more bounce per ounce. With more bounce per ounce. And I, I just think, I just think that gets lost because the shape, um, <laughs> but, but honestly, you know, it's an interesting conversation, Ryan, because I think in the next 12 to 18 months, consumers are going to, are going to start seeing brands shrink the size of their products because of inflation they're going to really swap. oh yeah they're going to i mean everybody's dealing with inflation issues all your raw material inputs are going up and so brands have three levers to pull they say okay we're going to increase our price we're going to decrease the size or we're going to swap ingredients or you just roll with the punches right and i think you're going to see responses from all all different brands are going to approach it differently you're already seeing the price increase thing i think you're going to see some brands do all three increase price decrease weight and swap ingredients Wow. Uh, so which one of those will you guys be doing? I have no, pl- honestly, no plans to change any right now. Love um, it. You know, it just, I, I think roll with the punches, but when you read reports like 8% doesn't make you feel that excited. No. And actually I think so, you know, at the risk of being a little too, you know, pro business here, but obviously as an entrepreneur and, you know, extreme capitalist myself too. But, you know, I think it's interesting because as a consumer, I'm just so spoiled. And I remember early in the pandemic when they had the meat rationing and they said, meat, I say meat rationing, uh, trying to explain this anywhere. I was like, sir, you can only buy a pound of meat per day. <laughs> um, and I was I, like, I could go really well with you, Ryan. That was yeah. just like, uh, those were lean times. I will say that was a tough time uh, for me. But the funny part is, um, I could go in with my family. We could each buy a pound of meat. So we could, uh, my family of four could have four pounds of meat. And I thought, God, we are so blessed slash spoiled to live in a country where rationing yeah. currently is four pounds of meat, uh, for my family. Um, and it's, it's just, it's astounding, but you know, I go there and I've got 50 options at the store. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's so interesting, but what do consumers probably, you know, to give you guys a little sympathy here, you know, you, you're dealing with supply chain ingredients, yeah. sourcing purity. I mean, there's a lot of headaches, right? I mean, what, I mean, what do we not see for you to bring us this packaged, you know, yeah. cocaine goodness in a, in a wrapper, like what has to happen? I mean, I imagine it's, it's not an easy thing. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the emotional part of the business that I really get excited about. Um, and like, you know, I encourage anybody that's interested in the food industry to like visit these facilities that like where your food comes from. So, I mean, it starts at a farm somewhere, depending on what you you have. I mean, it's so easy to forget that, right? So, like our products, the first three ingredients are almonds, 
chicory root fiber and whey, whey protein, right? And so the whey protein has already been through an amazing journey before it even gets to you, right? Because it started with a cow and, and dairy. And then it went to a facility to turn that dairy into casein and separate the ways into a crisper, into a, a higher density bioavailable protein. And then it gets to you. But so even there, before it even gets to us to be sold, I mean, there are so many hands that touch that. So many people, so many line line trial workers, right? Um, and that's just one ingredient. So, I mean, I've always wanted, I haven't done this, but I've always wanted to calculate the employment of one bar of Keto Crisp, right? Or one bag of Barnana, like how many people on a percentage basis that you are employing, right? Uh, and now, not fully, because we're just one supplier, but contributing to the employment, it's a, it's a, an astounding number. This is why they call it a supply chain, right? Um, so very complex. Uh, we've tried to, for good or for worse, it's just interesting into where the market's going, but onshore as much supply as possible, just because we want to have less exposure to ports and port congestion. Um, and so that's, so let me get, I want to pause you for a second. That is so, has that abated at all as of the time of this recording? And this will probably air sometime, you know, here at the end of April or this week, but yeah. like, is port congestion still a massive issue? Yes. Now, is that backlog stuff that was waiting, and so we're just trying to like get through, or is it a shortage of workers still? What or what is what are contributing factors to yeah. that, to your knowledge? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't profess to be that well read. You're on not it. a port authority. I'm not a not a not a port authority yet. Always always an option. Um, you know, I think the way we look at it is everything is about speed today because there's so many. The, the supply chain is so gummed up. So just by virtue, if you can have something that doesn't have to go on water or doesn't have to deal with another country's policies and how they respond to COVID and what their what their own local politics are, you know, it's interesting saying this because I feel like this is the opposite of Keynesian economics around this trade and like, you know, open borders. But like, it's very much, I think we're in a hyper growth mode where we need to be speed and speed is our best friend. And we're willing to pay a premium for that. Because if you don't have the product, you're not going to make the sale. And you know our business is growing a lot, and so we're paying a premium to have domestic as much as possible domestic production. Interesting. So I'm curious about this too, because there seems to be a, and obviously this is backed by some things, right? There's uh, whether right or wrong, there seems to be a assumption that if something is offshored, it is somehow. Uh, inferior in quality sometimes than uh, than if it's made locally. And yeah. the reality is, I think do a, a lot of consumers like we probably just don't realize like how vastly different the cost is. Like yeah. for a lot of the stuff we want, it's just not. And that is remarkable to me that there's things that can be like organized here, sent across the world, you know, put together yeah. and then sent back, and that is still less expensive sure. yeah. than putting it together here. And so, are we seeing a shift in that now? Um, and would you say that it's entirely possible to have great high quality stuff, uh, offshore? Oh yeah. I mean, look at Germany. Right. It sounds so, I know. I, that's what I was saying. Like yeah. it probably, it depends on like the, the assumption of where it's coming from, but right. Like there's a German engineering or whatever is that, is that phrase. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think you can look at it from where do you sit in the value chain of production? Um, and you know, I think that there's, you know, obviously, if you're in the raw material business, there's only so many places. If you want oil, you know, you're going to go where oil is, right? If you, <laughs> right. If you want 
lithium or nickel or you want chicory root, there's three places in the world that grow chicory, right? So you're, you're in, you know, almonds is a great example. We happen to be in a state that produces 90% of the almonds for the world. It's a big number, California, right? It's a huge number. Uh, and so I think part of this is just the, the geography of luck. And then I think when there's options, uh, I think there's countries that probably do stuff better than America. Um, uh, and I think it's just, it's just this trade-off of speed. Like to me, it's not a political thing. It's more of a speed thing. We just want to be faster and whatever is going to be the fastest, we're willing to pay a premium for that because these businesses are hard to forecast. And when you're growing at 600, 700%, you know, speeds your, your best friend and and that's why you chose whey protein, one of the fastest digesting and most bioavailable proteins. Speed, baby. None of that casein. Only whey, baby. No, only uh, whey. I'm, yeah, only whey. I'm curious, too. So uh, with the bars, now, are the bars, is there a distinction between keto-friendly and keto? I see this on a lot of goods. I, I, I was in the store the other day, and I saw keto-friendly bread. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious. I was like, does that mean it's like not directly antagonistic? Yeah. It's keto sympathetic uh, or is it actually keto? Uh, are there any inside lingo that we should be aware of when talking about keto items? I mean, I think there's a, there's probably a great, there's a whole other conversation or podcast could be on this in general. And I think what's happening is you have the barbell effect is there's, there's people out there trying to put a, um, and there are, there's certifications and agencies putting a, uh, authentication to what keto is, right? And this is hard because I think keto keto is are you in ketosis? And that's everybody's body responds differently. There's a great there's a great blog post around like 16 people eat a banana and then their blood sugar spikes differently for all 16 people on how their body metabolizes that banana, right? And banana of same size, like it's just amazing how the body responds to different inputs differently, right? Well, and half of them threw their banana out because we know that it doesn't make it there. So they didn't have any didn't blood sugars. So the actual, it was a small <laughs> sample size. It's not statistically significant. Anyway, so I think you have people trying to say, this is what keto certified looks like. And then you have brands at the same time uh, trying to communicate to consumers of what is in the product. Um, and then I think the keto friendly is popping up because there's in my opinion, I think there's two factors. One is, and we've debated this, brands are thinking, have people had a lot of negative experiences on keto where if I call it keto, they're going to pass up the trial. They're not going to try it, right? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of shitty tasting keto products out there. And if, you're, if, you've eat, if you've eaten one or two, you might be like, I'm over it. If it says keto, I don't even want to try it, right? And so I think keto friendly is brand's strategy to, to say, hey, like, you know, if you're practicing or generally following the keto diet, you might want to look at this. Uh, and then I still think there's unclear definitions. Like for our, for our products, we're four net carbs. Um, and that's pretty low. Like, you know, when you look at a net carb on a bar, like that's a pretty good, but like is five net carbs, six net carbs? Where is the, yeah. the when we say it's not keto? And the reason it's hard to put a pin in that is because everybody has their own rule of like, oh, for me to stay in ketosis, I need to eat less than 20 carbs, net carbs. Some people it's 25, some people it's 10, right? And so it's it's really loose. That is interesting. And, and I'm curious too, and you may not be able to answer this. So this might be a question for the can-do scientists, but my understanding too is that, sorry, this is a little out there, but whey protein and some of these dairy proteins elicit a pretty high insulin response 
Um, and if you pair them with these with the high fat, um, that does that is that actually not matter? Is literally the only thing that can get us out of ketosis is when we are metabolizing glucose. And I know it's a delicate line because things can get you out of ketosis. You, you have to fast from carbohydrate for a certain amount of time to get to this place where you are running on ketones. Yeah. Um, and the way and the does the protein? I guess the question is: Does the protein matter? Can that throw you in and out of that, or is that? Uh, I haven't read anything on that. Uh, I'm not familiar if the protein can uh, kick you out. And I think this goes back to it's probably highly relative to the person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Interesting. Well, the same people who are going to criticize our banana discussion, they're going to be yeah. like, "Oh yeah. yeah, we'll get great comments on on this on how wrong." We I are. would love to have a comment. That would be great. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I will leave a comment, Ryan. You should leave a comment. Um, that's exciting. I so at, would you say it? It can do. I mean, I, I think I've asked you this on another conversation, but I mean, you guys really do have something that tastes pretty good. Uh, and that's that's hard because there's a lot of bars that yeah. just taste terrible and you get them because you're like, I'm supposed to eat this or this is somewhat mm-hmm. healthier. So uh, there's a whole like too good to be true thing. Uh, I feel like sometimes with your bars, like, how is this so good? Yeah. Um, is that did you guys just take a long time? Like, how do you, how many iterations did you have to go through to get like a bar that tastes this great? Oh, it depends on the flavor. I mean, some were nine, 10, 11 iterations to get it right. Um, wow. and some, it just hits, right? Like the butter and salt bar we just launched. It just second formulation. It was, it was like, this is it. Let's go. Well, your ingredients are butter and yeah, salt. That makes, so it makes it pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. I, there's probably less iterations for that one than say, you know, broccoli, citrus, you know, extravaganza. Which by the way is a learning lesson for anybody in the food industry is, you know, don't overcomplicate it, make good tasting products that people want and are healthier for you chocolate peanut butter butter sugar (laughs) yeah well not sugar no i'll get you out of ketosis um what's on the future uh, on the horizon i'm sure you got like any good food company i'm sure you've got some stuff brewing um i don't know if you're allowed to talk about anything uh coming up but uh you guys obviously you know make great stuff so i'm curious is there anything you're allowed to share with us that's coming up um yeah i mean we you know for can do um, we're launching a couple new products nationwide with like Whole Foods and, and Costco and Sprouts. Awesome. Um, we're bringing a new tire product line to uh, the market in January, which we'll probably start teasing um, on, on our, and it'll be available D to C only in like probably October timeframe. Nice. That'll be exciting. Um, you know, and, and I think that the, the big picture that we get excited about is, you know, the bars are a platform. The brand is a platform to, to communicate this this message and and it you know this this can do spirit. We're going to be working with a lot of more challenge athletes and people that you know have to do a lot more to overcome daily adversity and, and bring their stories out to the mainstream. And we're super excited about that. Um, which I would love to riff with you on that. Um, I know Ryan, you, you have you know a deep rolodex there, but like really thinking through whose story needs to be shared right? That's not shared. Hmm. Man, there are a lot of people. Well, we'll have to do that on part two or offline, whatever. Yeah. Um, any excuse to call you. Um, all right. Last section here. I do want to talk because you're a serial entrepreneur and not in grains or, uh, actually Maybe. An- anti-cereal Maybe. because you, well, no, you're doing low carb, so you can't be a cereal unless it's low carb cereal. I, can, I don't know what you're doing. You can't do, um, that's actually an old Irish joke that Seinfeld made. 
Um, but what um, I'm curious, uh, I love asking this question to entrepreneurs. What would you tell yourself 10 years ago starting your entrepreneurial journey? What Are there one or two maybe lessons that you're like, gosh, Matt, listen to me, my boy. You must hear me on this. You know, I, I, I mean, off the cuff, I think the beauty of starting something is part of it is unknown. And so there's the unknown, which is just fun, right? And not knowing what direction it's going to go. I would say start earlier uh, and, and um, you know, don't be afraid to, I mean, everybody says this, but don't be afraid to fail. It's just so true. And break things. Like, you know, I just feel like instead of talking, just do, right? Um, and I've been a big, big believer in that. I also think, like, just be humble. You know, I mean, if I looked at our capital raise decks from when we were first starting Barnana, and <laughs> I think... Uh, we were off by orders of magnitude, um, but it still worked, right? And humility, I think, was key to that. Um, and and I think when it does work, at least what I've taken from it is don't take too much agency over the success because it allows you not to have too much agency over the failures either. It's just, good. <laughs> it's like on good both ends. Good hedge. It. Yeah, it's a good hedge. <laughs> that's, been, that's been, you know, I think helpful for me because um, there's plenty of failures too. What's um, any advice for those out there? You've done a lot of fundraising in your day. Uh, any advice for those fundraisers, past, present, future fundraisers? You know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, we've been been lucky to raise a decent amount of capital, and you know, I think it's a it's it. I think that we've done a good job at raising capital because I have good partners, and I say that because. I think all like entrepreneurial journeys have these balance of people. Um, like I just started the, uh, did you, do you know that new WeWork thing that just came out? The We Crash? Have you seen yeah. that? Have you started, have you seen it? Have you watched no, it? it was good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, I started watching it last night and then I kind of got sick to my stomach because I realized that like, oh, I'm Miguel. Like I'm totally the Miguel's that are like, I think that's, and it's good to realize what you are. We're like, I think, if you know instead of people haven't seen this it's i think good businesses have this dynamic of somebody that is like this charismatic outgoing pioneer visionary saying the craziest asinine things and you need that and then i think they all need like a, a really good operating kind of comeback to reality partner right and i'm very much that person right and and i've been just when i say i've been lucky I've been lucky to work with people that have that like really outsized, crazy, grandiose vision and lucky enough to be able to execute because that's what I, I'm more of an executor and pragmatist and re real, 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 whether it's projections. And I think it's all related to capital raising because that I didn't have to play that role. I think, you know, when you raise capital, you always have to say, hey, this is what how this is how big it's going to be. And this is what it's going to be. And that's, you know, and you're, you're trying to peer down the future and. I think when you have a, that that partnership where somebody's saying that and somebody's saying like this is what the next 24 months looks like this is how we can execute on it i think it's a good combination that's awesome 
do you uh, now, as someone who's been in leadership uh, for a while, um, I think one thing I always appreciate about entrepreneurs and just anyone in leadership is that, you know, it's not a nine to five and just go home. There are things that can follow you home, keep you up. Do you have a story of like, was there an oh shoot moment um, where any, uh, we had uh, when Ryan was on, Ryan Ellis was on uh, a yeah. couple weeks ago from Travis Mavis, he talked about uh, an order mishap that was like half a million dollars lost in a day. And people don't realize like all the things that can go wrong in business just from the chaos or everything. But do you have an oh shoot story that stands out? Oh man, I mean, I mean, under your leadership, obviously, there were replete yeah. oh shoot situations. I mean, that was the that was the hallmark of your. You tenure. sort of hope that there's more, there's less oh shoots than uh, that was great. Right. But was, <laughs> so is there one that, that worked? worked out. Yeah. Is there one that you're just like, oh my gosh, or like just or just a mistake that you learned from? I mean, because we all, you know, all make them. Yeah, I mean, early on in um, in the Barnana days, you know, I think selecting your partner is really important. Um, we got really lucky on the capital partner side of it that just worked out. I think, you know, it's probably more luck. Uh, and then we bounced around a lot in regards to who was going to make our product. Um, and, you know, I think you're so passionate about what you're doing that you're willing to not see the writing on the wall. You're like, oh, this is going to happen. And like, you, you see the red flags and you're like, ah, get out of here, red flags. It's not a big deal. You, you, you know, and, and I think we did a lot of that. Um, you know, I think also part of that is you're small and nobody's going to work with you. And you know, like, you're just excited for the first person to come. This sounds a yeah. lot like dating. Basically, you found someone right. who's really hot, and you finally said, "Okay, you know." Yeah, it, I think that's right. And then I think also it's realizing when it's time to move on, right? And and I think that that story, unfortunately, is true for like partners. And I've been a big believer that you know when you're hiring people too you know, some of the best gifts is when people move on, right? It's the best gift you can give somebody, whether they're moving on for their own will and their, their own, or if it's from the, the company's perspective, because that's where growth starts, right? Like I, I've, I've, I've lost a lot of great people and it was so painful because they're going on to other things. And then when you take yourself out of the center of that and you look at it from their point of view, they're all going on and done amazing things in their career. And like, that's kind of what you want. Right at the end of the day, like it's kind of what what success looks like is people growing. Yeah. Do you have any? And I'm curious too, uh, as I'm gonna, I'm basically stealing all your material for a book. Um, you know, you when you get out there, you mentioned speed, and in every startup, you just want to hire, get things going. Hiring is one of those things where I personally have been like, oh, like I I have to do this. Yeah. And it takes a while, and there's just no guarantees. And anyone, I had a CEO tell me one time, anyone can be a decent person for 90 days after that is True. when you start to uh, see things come out. But uh, anything now looking back, you're like, oh man, like this is uh, I've, I've cultivated this hiring philosophy and how I get, because obviously it's, it's tough to retain talent now too, like getting the right person and getting them to stay uh, in this world of side hustles and entrepreneurs, yeah. I imagine it's very difficult. You know, uh, I don't think I have a silver bullet there or a, a really wise answer. The one thing I've done lately and I don't know why I didn't do it sooner is we all get caught up because we're running businesses and we can look at our calendars and we know we have a call after a call after a call and like the, the week is busy. Right. And so I've just tried to set, and I used, I mean, you would ask me this five years ago, it'd say no more small talk. We got work to do. No small talk. Right. And I actually think small talk is what keeps people engaged. Uh, and it's probably contrarian, 
but being like just real and authentic of like, Hey, how's your family? How are you? How was your weekend? And like listening and not just like waiting to like talk about business, but like being okay. If you pull that thread and it goes somewhere where you guys didn't expect it to go. Mm. I've just found that that builds more real, real authentic connection in you talking I mean, about just in general or in actually in hiring. No, in like keeping people. Oh, right? key, it's like, okay. And so keep retaining. Okay. Not hiring, but retaining talent. Right. Of Yeah. You know, and I even, it happens on both sides. I think for people that are okay with it, it's natural for some people, they just want to work and I have to actually pull it out of them and to say like, cause some people want to compartmentalize work is work, home is home and I can do both. Right. I'm not a believer that that is that effective. I think it's really tough to do that. Now you guys have always had a family atmosphere. I've always enjoyed your offices and yeah, you know, it's always, it's always been cool. I, you didn't take my advice though, for the Donkey Kong themed, uh, Barnana office. And you know, that's probably why you're, you didn't meet the goals stated in your deck at first, but you know, you know, if we water... just had a Donkey Kong office, Ryan, you know, you know, that's my biggest regret. I know I was, I was waiting. I, we've I was come waiting. full circle here. I was giving you all the advice there. All right, we're going to end on two things. We have to do a camping story because uh, it's camping, and I actually have a crazy one with Matt Clifford. But before we do, it is often said that every CEO is selling all the time. Everyone in the company is selling. So we're going to put Matt Clifford on the hot seat here. Matt, sell us Keto Crisp. Why is it awesome? Why should we try it? What's amazing? What do we not know about it? Sell us on Keto Crisp. 30 seconds. Go. Boom. Go. Um, I have a worldview that people are tired of too much sugar in their, in their products, right? Um, too many carbs, too much sugar. So if you're looking for an alternative to that, but you don't want to sacrifice on taste, you should probably check out our products. Um, and you know, I think that the data is there. Um, they just taste good. And because of that, we're now the number three selling bar nationwide at Whole Foods, all Whole Foods. So. Uh, I do have to ask, who are the number two, who are one and two? So you can, your plans to take them out. Yeah. I actually don't want to take them out. I think they're great brands. So Go Macro. I don't know if everybody's ever heard of that brand. I have a Go Macro bar. I mean, I don't have one. No, they're a great product. I think they're great. I know them really well. Fantastic product. So they are number one. And number two is a brand called New Go. uh, And they make Hmm. another great product, like a a dark chocolate pretzel sea salt bar. Um, It's pretty good. Yeah. You had me a dark chocolate sea salt and pretzel. Hey, there's flavor ideas. Again, don't don't mess around. Simple ingredients: pretzels, yeah. chocolate, croissants. I could I, I will submit. Uh, oh, which is surprising, right? Because I would say most people would think like RX bar or whatever, right? And it's not. Yeah, no, that is interesting. Um, now, Matt, we will post. Um, will you uh, have an email address that our listeners can submit their flavor suggestions? Uh, yes. I know we're going to give you. We're going to outsource your R and D. Uh, I would love that. Now, Matt, final question. Since we have been camping here, this is not the first time we've camped, though. In your words, do you remember what happened the last time you and I were camping together? Where, when, and what transpired? I remember vividly. You can never forget the the shrill and the screams (laughs) of a grown man (laughs) shrieking from pain. Um... I actually don't remember. The, the, we're in the Los Angeles mountains somewhere. Uh, some horse flats. flats. We found horse this campsite like a horse flats. Horse flats. By the way, amazing campground. I that's mean, right. I don't want to give it away because it's a little secret. But that yeah. thing, is, that's killer. 
Yeah, I remember this. I think it was probably about you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, midday. Um, we had a hatchet, as all as you have to have when you're camping, and you know, real real big camper city boys here just doing the camping thing. <laughs> and and uh, you know, we're chopping some wood, and Ryan uh, he missed the wood, and uh, he found his knee, and it was uh, it was definitely a sight to behold, and. Unfortunately, Ryan's camping trip was cut very short because <laughs> he was no longer camping with us. But as all good friends do, we decided not to go to the hospital with him and stay camping. <laughs> so we let him go. That's right. The other thing is, by the way, if any of you do somehow place a dirty hatchet somewhere into your knee, uh, viewer discretion uh, advised while listening to this uh it, I would say do not wait. Now, this is a classic example of my love of food. Uh, it was actually the only thing that got wrong about the story was about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. We had hiked all dinner day. Dinner was coming. Dinner was coming. Dinner was coming. And not just any dinner because uh, Matt and his wife, his wife uh, Trish, is a phenomenal uh, cook. And our friends we were camping with happened to be creating a uh, – we had pesto tortellini and brioche buns and burgers with Gruyere camping. cheese. <laughs> camping uh and we were all very excited about this and i said well i mean i can't fix the knee right now so i might as well just you know have some food um and i thought well i'll just go to sleep and i'll go to the hospital tomorrow and then i woke up middle of the night and uh i was like hey i can't feel my knee anymore we should go to the hospital and uh left all my stuff there and that was the longest most painful ride down the uh down the (laughs) That was actually the last time we went physically camping, Ryan. So we're we have we're a, five year, a five year hiatus. I think that was five years ago. Well, I think it's time we bury the hatchet on this story. Let's let's, let's um, do a part two. We uh, should oh, part two hatchet. Axe to grind on that. Ah. One, so. <laughs> um, well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. You are a treasure trove of wisdom in CPG. And I know you were half joking about not doing it, but obviously um, you've done it for a long time. And you've been very successful at it. And so uh, we thank you for creating good quality products. And uh, we hope you come back and camp with us again, Sands the Hatchet. Always a pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me, buddy, and really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, folks. If you want to help us out, and we're confident you do, go ahead and hit that subscribe button here on our YouTube channel. And if you ever feel like just listening to these, you can check us out on all major podcast streaming platforms by just searching for I Went Camping With. And there, you should also subscribe. Thanks again, folks.